Hello, everyone. This is episode 148 of the Juice Box Podcast. With this episode, we begin our fourth year of talking about type 1 diabetes. I'm pretty excited. You can hear it in my voice. Actually, it's late at night. I'm tired. I'm just trying to get this out. But the rest of the show is really good. Just my intro is a little sleepy. I'll tell you what, though. Let me try to find a little artificial excitement here at this late hour. Nope, I got nothing. This episode is sponsored tonight. Tonight. Today. This afternoon. Whenever you're listening. It's sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. There are also very convenient links in the show notes of your podcast player. You can click right there. It'll take you right to the webpage. Technology is absolutely fascinating. I am 100,000% confident you are going to love this episode. And I'm calling it Choose Your Own Adventure. So I sort of broke my own rule here on the podcast. The one rule I've had was I usually just interview people who don't have another way of talking about diabetes. But today, I'm going to bend that rule just a little bit to talk to one of my absolutely favorite diabetes journalists. Today's episode is with Mike Hoskins. Mike writes for DiabetesMind.com. I'll put some links in the show notes where you can find what he writes about type 1. I just find Mike's writing to be special, to be perfectly honest. Mike has a way of explaining things that has always spoke to me, and frequently I very much enjoy his points of view. So when we put up the episode a couple weeks ago, Leo's dad is not a doctor. Mike found me online. He had this real kind of visceral reaction to the, to the episode, and I thought, let's have him on the podcast and talk about it. So that's what I did. Please, 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 please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast, say it with me, should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before being bold with insulin. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mike Hoskins. So this is Mike, and I am in uh, Metro Detroit, Michigan, have been type 1 for most of my life since age 5, which was 1990. I'm sorry, 1990. I wish it was 1990. It was uh, actually 1984. So majority of my life, and um, I have been blogging for a little while on my own personal blog, the Diabetics Corner Booth. And for the past five or six years, I've been uh, writing and doing journalism uh, and advocating over at DiabetesMind.com. And so I'm trying to remember the first time that I, I met you in person would have been, you think it was at Lilly in Indianapolis? It could have been. I, I lived in Indianapolis for about 11 years, uh, moved there for a journalism job, newspaper job. And uh, that's, you know, clearly in the backyard of Willie. So <laughs> worlds collided and eventually I ended up there. No kidding. So, so you're in Indianapolis for, for like a, not a diabetes related business. It's just your, your newspaper person, your, your, your writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I grew up, my, my wife and I grew up here in Metro Detroit. And, you know, I went to school for, for, new, for, for journalism here. And then uh, eventually had to leave the state to get a, an actual daily newspaper job. And found my way south of uh, Indianapolis. And, and um, am I right to say it's a little unfair? I know you before we're talking, but you love that, right? That the idea of being a journalist is is very kind of inherent in who you are. 
I do. I, I mean, I love writing at the base. I mean, I, I was diagnosed, like I said, when I was five, and I think I started writing in some form or another about that same time. Little Batman spoofs and eventually poetry, and you know, I had to get a real job, so I went into newspapering when I was roughly in middle school, and I've uh, been kind of doing it ever since uh, to some degree. And so I would say, um, and you don't have to respond, just be humble and be quiet, but I am very much a fan of how you, how you write and um, just the thorough uh, nature of, of how you lay things out and the very understandable way that I can read something that you've written about that I don't understand it and I feel like I understand it at the end. Um, and I've, I've just always been very impressed by that since I met you. So I don't know if I've ever said that to you, but, um, but, uh, but I like the way your mind works, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, you're one of the few. <laughs> you can pass some advice on other people. <laughs> well, it's and it's how it, it's how you end up here today a little bit too. So most of the time, people hear podcasts. Um, this podcast, I think they know when they're listening. They've been recorded sometimes months, you know, prior. Sometimes when I do technology stuff, it's obviously more in the moment. But I don't know that I've ever done something like this where I put a I put a show up last week. Uh, just a couple days ago, and you responded to me online about it, and I thought I would love to keep talking about this with Mike, um, because I think it's very, I think it's very obvious that there are perspectives in diabetes, and I don't mean in the space or writing about it, but in having it or living with it. And there is one perspective when your child has type one diabetes, and there is one perspective when you have it. Um, you, I happen to know, grew up with a, a mother who also had type one. So you, you've been the child of a person with diabetes and you've, you know, you, you've kind of had a different experience, but at the same time, when people talk about it, you know, when they sit down on the podcast and they talk about it, they only really are talking about it from their perspective, which is, you know, it may be obvious, but it's still not all the perspectives, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that. To go on for just a second longer, I think that if you understand that my goal for this podcast is, it's very simple. And I've said it before, but I'll say it real quickly to you, which is just that I don't think that the status quo of how we talk to people about diabetes is necessarily the best way. I don't like that we t- that people start out in fear and that that fear uh, is is trans it's it, it it's it's given to them by people who they trust, some doctors or other people living with diabetes. And while I do believe there's plenty to be respectful of and, and even fearful of at times, I think that if you really want to you know, live well, the fear is the first thing that has to go. And then so much good comes after it. But when we start out by telling people to be afraid, then that's a hole they can sometimes not dig themselves out of. And so while I understand that what I'm saying isn't for everybody and isn't for everyone's specific or current situation, it is my dream of how people should talk about diabetes, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I share that. I'm sure most people do. And, you know, look, I mean, it is, you know, the, the phrase, you know, put a coin in the hat for your diabetes may vary. I mean, you know, we can only talk from our personal perspective and what we've been through, you know, on our own end. And, you know, everybody's experience is different. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the same time, there are similarities where I find that statement. So I believe what you just said, and I agree with you that everybody's diabetes is different. And at the same time, there are similarities that we all share. And if we allow the idea that 
if we allow what happens, some, here's what I feel like happens sometimes is people run up against something, a roadblock, they don't have the answer. And instead of imagining that there might be an answer, they just say, oh, well, that's diabetes. And then they throw their hands up in the air and they stop. And, and that's where I want people not to think that everyone's diabetes varies. Because here's some simple truths. Uh, if you take insulin, your blood sugar goes down. If you eat food and don't have insulin, your blood sugar goes up. Like, like you know, um, if you count your carbs and do everything you were told, but your blood sugar still ends up at 350, that's not just diabetes. That's, there's still something left you don't understand. Um, and I, I, I get scared that some people think that, okay, 250 is the best I can do. And then they just go, well, that's it. And they move on. Um, so I, I completely agree with the statement. And I also think that sometimes people use it in the way that it's not intended. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, and there's that, there's always that balance in, in everything you do with life and diabetes, you know, across the board. And you have to be able to realize that, you know, sometimes it is a cop out and, and, you know, things can be figured out. You can look at things and you can try a little bit harder. Sometimes that's not always the case. And then sometimes there's a matter of, you know, I, I think one of the things we were talking back and forth on online was, you know, mental health. Sometimes you're just not in the place or, or your family that helps you is not in the place to mentally go after that, you know, that field goal, that, that, that touchdown. Mm -hmm. And you have to meet somewhere on the 50 yard line. Yep. And that, and that is an incredible, like, it's an incredibly valuable concept. Um, and it's just, it's difficult to, it's difficult to talk around all sides of it within an hour. Do you know what I mean? Like if I exploded out every part of what I needed to talk about in every podcast and every episode would be 12 hours long and no one would listen to it. Um, and so I sort of have to pick a, th a theme. Like, do you know what I mean? Like a, like a, like go ahead and go for it or, but I agree with you. I, there are people, you know, this is not apples for apples, but last week I got sick. I don't know that I had the flu, but I was, you know, woozy, dizzy, laid up, feverish, couldn't function in the world, like, you know, had to lay there till I felt better, sick. And I found in a moment of clarity, or maybe I had just watched so much television that I needed to think about something for a second, but I found myself relaying, relating this to what you were just talking about with people with diabetes who maybe are up against the wall and don't know what to do at the moment, because I needed to get up to get the medicine I needed, right? It, it's so simple, but my head was full and I knew there was some, there was a medication across the room for me that if I took it, the pain in my head would lessen and I couldn't get myself up to go get it. And in that moment I thought, Oh God, is this what it's like to have a high blood sugar and just really need to bolus and just not be able to bring yourself to do it. And, and I'm wondering from you, like, is that, do those, do those have a correlation to each other? I absolutely think they do. I mean, there's something weird in our bodies that, that make that just the way things work sometimes. I mean, you're, you're talking about that. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, low blood sugar. I mean, I can't count the times when I've been low. I know that I've been low. I've long before CGM, I would do a check. I'd be very, very low. I need a juice box. I need something, you know, to bring my sugar up. And I just sit in the chair or wherever I happen to be. And I just stare at the floor and, I don't move for X amount of time. And I'm like, I don't know why that is, but right. something, something just forces you to sit there and, and overanalyze something. And in the process, you're 
you know, you're going even more low. You're slipping. I've said here before, and, and I say it with a little bit of humor, but I, I remember being not as amused when it happened is that I remember Arden's blood sugar being very low on time. And I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to teach her that she's going to have to take care of herself at some point. She's like, could you bring me something? I said, no, Arden, you know what? I think you need to get up and go get it. And she just sort of like went, well, I guess I'm just going to sit here and die then. And I thought she was just being sarcastic and fun, but maybe there was that part of her who was just like, look, buddy, I can't pull my butt up from this. So um, I guess that's what's going to happen if it's going to happen. And she seems so at peace with the idea. You, you, you know what I mean? Like it is, it is interesting that you can get into that spot where your body, your brain just tells you, okay, I guess this is it. And, yeah. and, and, and you get very accepting very quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a, you know, it, it, I'm sure other people have had this too, but I mean, I remember growing up where, you know, one of the classic symptoms of being low, you know, I'd be doing whatever I was doing and somebody, you know, my mom, my dad would recognize, Hey, I think you're low. Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. You know, you, you go into that instant rebellion mode and go, you know, I'm fine. I can nothing, you know, diabetes is not interfering. I can do whatever I want and nothing is going wrong at the moment, even though everything is going wrong at that moment. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it's just super interesting. So I think, so you're you're kind of on in response to uh, episode 146, which is uh, Leo's Leo's dad is not a doctor, um, yeah. and I think I want to make sure I'm right. But in my mind, did you bump on where we were joking about? Oh my God, the blood sugar's 140. We've completely failed. Is that was that the thing that got you, or or what what what, what kind of made this that episode more interesting to you? Can you tell me a little bit? Well, first of all, you know, listening to you two talk back and forth is dynamic in itself. That's what got me. I loved, I loved the whole podcast and just listening to that interview. Uh, nice job for both of you. Thank you. But, uh, you know, what? I, I think it was the 140 note. But I think overall just, you know, kind of the, the trends I see in the community sometimes are things such as, you know, you have to be perfect. You, you, you know, I, I, you start getting a little nervous when, numbers go above 140, 150, you know, whatever they are. And um, one of the things I've started noticing over time more so too, is that when these things happen, when, you know, a, a pod fails or when, you know, a pump site fails or, you know, whatever the case is, uh, you know, a child gets sick sometimes, and, and certainly you can't make a blanket statement for everybody, but I've seen more and more examples of people just don't know what to do. The, the, the child doesn't know what to do as a, as a teenager. I mean, I, I was involved in diabetes camp for many years in Indianapolis. And I recall seeing teenagers who, you know, their blood sugar would go, you know, it would hit 200 and they would be in tears because they didn't understand why that was. And they didn't know what to do about it. And their parents were always the one. And, and these are, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old, you know, teenagers yeah. didn't know how to respond to a 200 blood sugar. And again, I mean, this is, you know, five, 10 years ago even, but that always made me very nervous when are we becoming so focused on these numbers being perfect, so to speak, that we're losing the ability to deal with things as they naturally develop in people who are not diabetic, people who, you know, you know, anybody who has a bowl of pasta, you know, their blood sugar will, you know, very briefly will rise high depending on what you're eating. And then, you know, obviously the body will go back down, but we, we've, we've somehow gotten into a point where if, you're, if you have diabetes, you can never go above a certain amount. And if you ever do for even a moment, something horrible has gone wrong <laughs> and it needs to be fixed. And that, that's certainly, again, not, 
meant to mean you know, everybody who, you know, stays in tight control is doing that. But I've seen that example time and time again, and it, it just it scares me. No, no, I, I hear you. I, I try so hard, and I don't know if I'm doing it as well as I hope I am, but I'm trying to at the same time let people know that, you know, by, by here's an example. Here's a graph of Chinese food, never over 110. All that means is I got that so right that time, like it's almost lucky at that point. Like there's a lot of tools and a lot of ideas and concepts that that put me in that spot. But to not get any spike at all, that really is almost random. And and in a 24-hour period, I'd say Arden's blood sugar goes over 200 probably twice in a 24-hour period. And, you know, sometimes it's just you get it wrong or whatever. Sometimes it's just like you said, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, you just – she ate a lot of carbs. And I can't, you know, I can't kill her with insulin because later it, it will cause a problem. I have to try to keep a balance. Um, and at the same time, how do you, how do you give people the feeling that I can do this if the message is you can't? And, 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 and it's not exactly, but I think that's how they hear it. Like, oh, it's, if it's, because I think what happens is, is that once you accept 250 the first time, well, then it doesn't feel weird the second time. And then all of a sudden, if it was 250 was okay, then, I mean, how much more is 275 over 250? It's only 25 points. And they lose perspective that 275 is, you know, nearly 200 points higher than they really would hope their blood sugar to be. And that's the conversation that scares me. But yours scares me just as much too. And, And so you try to keep a balance, but at the same time, like that's, that's difficult. Like, how do you say to somebody, you can do this, but it might go wrong. Uh, when it goes wrong, it's not your fault, but you can't believe that this is completely out of your hands because if you do, then you won't believe that you can in any way manage it. And it's, it's for the person I think to figure out. Um, and, and, and so I don't know, like I want very much to be Mike, you and I've spoken numerous times over the years. Like, you know, I want very much to help people. And, and I think if you could see an email that I got the other day from a newly diagnosed family, I get them almost every day at this point. And they're going from start to a much better place so much more quickly than you could imagine or that you would even expect. And most of them say the same thing. Um, I, I didn't know how much I needed to understand the insulin, and I didn't realize how much the fear was holding me back. And, and that was, that's sort of it. You, you know, it, it, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think when you take those couple things away, you just give people a better chance. And, and I hope they understand. I hope everybody listening understands. It's like, I don't mean a better chance for perfection. Because, you know, I just got Arden's A1C back on Monday, and it was 6-1. But Arden's, but I, I, I hope that doesn't make people picture a Dexcom graph in their mind of a 115 blood sugar that never moves. You, you know what I mean? Because that's certainly not her life. Um, but that's not what the podcast is about either. So it's hard to, I don't know. You understand, I hope? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you, you can't, like you said early on, I mean, you can't hit every single angle, you know, in every moment of, of a podcast and a blog post, you know even in online exploration. I mean, people, people float to what they, what they often want to hear, what they want to see. And, you know, they, they follow that rabbit hole down as far as they can. Um, 
you know, and that's not to say that's a bad thing. It's just that's that's how the human mind works. Right. I get, I get, you know what makes me nuts? Because I haven't, I don't believe I've been around this nearly as long as you have, but I, I've been around it for a while. And I can't stand when someone writes something and they're apologizing with one hand and giving you help with the other hand. Like, oh, you should do this, but don't do too much of it. You know, um, you probably could bolus for that, but don't forget to test. And but, but, like that back and forth, like I get that you have to remind people, like you can't just go willy nilly, like, you know, rage bolusing and then forget about it. But at the same time, I feel like you never get to the real conversation because you're always busy covering for what you said the sentence before. I don't mean you, but like, but, but like, you know, somebody says something, then they cover themselves for it. Then they say something, then they cover themselves. Then they say something that you know is not exactly what they think. It's a portion of what they think, but they don't have the nerve to say the whole thing. And in my heart, like, I feel like if I was going to do that, I would just stop doing all this because I don't know that that helps anybody. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that the biggest problem we have is that when people share, they don't share what works. They share bits and pieces or the bigger problems that like you're talking about when people, you see people online and I've said this here before and I'm not afraid to say it. People end up online looking for help mainly because they're new and they're scared and they don't know, or they're not having the success they were hoping for. And they don't know they're looking for help in some sort of a way. You have a bunch of people together who don't know what they're doing and when you show up on a Tuesday and that guy over there has been there since last Wednesday, you think he knows something because he's been there longer than you. And then a bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about end up trying to help each other. And, it, and that's, I mean, have you, have you ever seen a blog post where somebody asks a simple question and or a Facebook thread, they get 17 answers back and you go down and you go, oh, there's the right answer right there. How's that person going to choose the right answer from the 17 replies that they got? Yeah, well, in these days, it's not only 17, it's 117, and you, you go down so many different avenues with those comments. But yeah, I mean, but you hit the nail on the head. I mean, none of us can proclaim to be experts. I mean, I, I think I know maybe one or two experts, and, and maybe I'll put one of those hats on, you know, my medical team, you know, collectively. Right. We're all basically, you know, twisting in the wind for the most part, trying to figure this out the best we can using whatever information we've got at the time. And, and that's, that's the bottom line is there are no 100% right or wrong answers, you know, for the most part, you know. No, so, oh my God, yeah. It, it, moment to moment, Mike. Right, it, moment it, to moment but, is all. Yeah, yeah. With, within the same person, moment to moment. I just, yeah. you know, you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't win, you, you know, but, but you can, but I think you can give people tools that give them a better chance at it. And, and. I, all I think that I've done is I've broken down what I've seen work into like simple concepts to, to understand. Like that's that, that I, I think that's what this podcast is. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm one of the classic examples too. I mean, I was chuckling a moment ago when you were talking about, you know, people talking out of both sides of their mouth. I mean, I'm sure I do that all the time. I mean, <laughs> I, I start everything off when I'm talking my personal story. I mean, I'm one of the laziest ones out there. I mean, I typically know what I need to do and know that if I do it, it may very well work, you know, close to where I needed to. I just don't do it for whatever the reason. And <laughs> I admit that right out the door. I'm just lazy. And that's probably a cause of a lot of my problems. So let me ask you. So let's dig a little deeper then. What do you think that's about? For those of you who heard that question and thought, oh, this is where Scott's going to put an ad. You were 100% correct. Congratulate yourself. 
Okay, you heard me at the beginning of the show. It's late at night. I'm tired. I'm giving it to you straight right here. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump, and I think you should check it out. This is lucky for you because Omnipod offers a free, no-obligation demo, which means if you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or click on the link in your show notes, you'll be taken to a webpage, and you'll fill in the tiniest bit of information, your name and your address, and I think that might be it. Basically, you're telling Omnipod, I'd like to see a demo pod. Send it to my house. And they do. They send a demonstration pod. You can put it on, see what you think. You can hold it, touch it, feel it, look at it, smell it if you want, although uh, it's going to smell like plastic probably. Still, you'll get to see for real what the footprint looks like and where you could wear it. You can try it on. You can put it on and leave it on for a few days and see what you think. That way you can make a really sound decision. So basically, here it is. If you're using injections and you want to try a pump, or you think you might want to try a pump, check out the Omnipod demo. And if you're already using a pump, you must be, I mean, this is just my guess, but you must be sick and tired of being tethered to a controller with a long piece of tubing. That cannot, in my opinion, be fun. So give it a try. Click on the link in your show notes, or go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. It is free, and there is no obligation. I cannot think of one good reason for you not to try, but I can think of about a thousand great reasons you should. Take my word for it. Give it a whirl. What do you think that's about? Like, like really, like, so you, you, there are people right now who are listening whose kids have just been diagnosed and they think... If I can just put them on the right path, that they'll stay on that path. And I don't believe that that's true. I don't think for anything in life that you can just set somebody on a course and it's just going to work. But I do think you can give people tools that hopefully when they hit the bumps that maybe they can come out of them quicker. So how much of, I don't know, like I don't even know how to ask, like a person like yourself who has had diabetes, what did you say, 84, 94, yeah. like 20, 20 25 years almost. That's amazing, by the way, Mike. Um, it, what what was it about how you grew up with it that you don't think about it the way that people now think about it? Do you think it's just the data? Do you think it's just the knowledge of where your blood sugar is all the time changes people's expectations? Or what do you think? I, I mean, I think it's all of it. I mean, I don't think it's certainly anything unique to me whatsoever. I'm not different in that regard. It's just, I think, you know, it comes down to human behavior and, you know, what kind of person are you? And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, I'll preface with, you know, I'm not a parent, you know, my wife and I don't have kids at this point, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, okay, parents, this is how you parent. I mean, it's going to be different for everybody. And, you know, nobody can be the other person's guide on, you know, this is how exactly you should parent, you know, it, it falls down to, you know, the kind of, you know, home atmosphere, you know, all these different environmental factors that, that play into it. And, in the end, a lot of times if your teen rebels, it's because your teen rebels and there's not a sole reason for it a lot of the time. That's kind of where I come in. I mean, I, I rebelled. I mean, I just, I, I'm the way I am and that's kind of how I, I grew up, you know, nothing, nothing to say my parents didn't, you know, do everything they needed to do and more. It's just, I wasn't interested in hearing it in those teenage years. Right. Right. How, how, how loose were you with your diabetes through those years? Pretty loose. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that's the interesting thing you mentioned, you know, my mom, obviously, you know, she's been type one since she was five. And, uh, you know, so she's at, you know, 60, you know, years or so at this point, I'm at 30, 
33, I think, 33, 34. And so she's, you know, relatively about the same, you know, age five, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, she grew up in a time that was a lot different than, than what I grew up with and what, you know, people grew up with now. And, you know, her mom was, was very strict, but also at the same time, you know, there was, you know, the, the, the food exchanges. So, you know, my grandma was ahead of the curve before anybody else was saying, Hey, if you don't want, you know, a, a banana or, you know, a cup of fruit, you know, with your, with your, uh, with your meal, you could have, you know, half a cup of ice cream and you're not going to kill the kid by giving them a half a cup of ice cream. Right. right. And everybody under the sun in the medical profession was like screaming from the, ra- you know, the rafters saying, you're going to kill that child. And, you know, grandma knew better. She knew the food exchange, the logic that worked. And, um, that's kind of how my mom grew up. But at the same time, grandma was always, was also very strict with her. And so my mom, rebelled when she was a teenager and, you know, in her early twenties. And, um, as the story goes, you know, she, she said, you know, she didn't really test her blood sugar. You know, they didn't have that technology way back in the day before, you know, I was diagnosed in 84, but she made the point that before I came along and was diagnosed, she had never checked her blood sugar. Um, she didn't have a, a, a glucose monitor as it was in 84. Mm. And so she got one and we started testing at the same time. Yeah. You know, I just interviewed a guy a couple weeks ago. His interview won't be out for a while, but I'm going to also interview his mom. Um, and it's a similar situation. He got that, but he got diagnosed later in life in his, in like literally later in his twenties and thirties. And, and the mom has a similar situation. Like she, th- it, it, almost like seeing your child have it made the mother go, okay, well I got to take better care of this. If nothing else is to just understand it for him or to be a role model for him in this situation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like it's like your diagnosis almost. Do you think it? Do you think your diagnosis changed how your mom, even now that you're not with her anymore? Do you think she's a is she a different person with diabetes than she would have been? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think you know that that does that. That diagnosis of of your child, you know, does that to to a person. I would I would have to assume, you know, for most people. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in these days, it's funny. I mean, you know. Back in, in my college days, my last year of uh, college, I went on an insulin pump for the first time. And, uh, you know, that was basically like the summer of 2001. And then within three or four months, um, I had convinced my mom to do the same. So, you know, we both, we had night and day experiences on the type of pump that we used over the years. But, you know, she's basically been on one the whole time. Um, and, and I have up until more recently. Uh, for personal choices. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we influence each other, you know, CGM and, um, you know, insulin pump, all those things. And uh, these days, I mean, she's doing a lot better than I am. I mean, she's on a, <laughs> on a uh, rally link, you know, a uh, hybrid, um, what you call it, um, homemade closed loop. Right. And, uh, you know, you know, has just outstanding control. And um, yeah, I mean, she's doing outstanding. And she figured that out by herself. She did, yeah. I mean, okay. you know, obviously, with you know community support, you know, other people in the the we're not waiting world helping. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, you know, the two of us kind of got together and you know put our put our thinking caps on and you know kind of got it done. That's so, cool. She's been loving it for I think a little over a year. I think you know Thanksgiving, uh, not this past one, but the one before that. So right. Oh no, loving. kidding. Good for her. That's pretty cool. So you so you mentioned earlier the idea of. Um, of once something goes wrong, nobody knows how to deal with going wrong. Maybe it's because their parents have had it covered for them for so long, or maybe it's because the technologies work so well for them 
And then, you know, what happens if you, I don't know, your insurance changes. You see it all the time. People are like, I've been, I've had Dexcom forever, but my insurance has changed. And I don't have it anymore. And I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but what's the, what's the answer? Maybe you don't know. It's probably a bigger question, but I want to talk about it anyway. Like, I don't think, I can't come to grips with the idea that the answer is you have to struggle and dig through the mud to understand. But I do think you need to understand. And so... What do you see as like the, the, I don't think you're looking for people to live for years with, you know, um, unhealthy blood sugars and things like that, just so they understand the nuts and bolts of diabetes in case their pump gets broken or they lose their insurance or something like that. But, but do you think there's a balance? Like how can people understand without having the, you know, back in my day, we climbed nine miles up a hill for, you know, for school like experience. Do you have any thoughts on that? Have, Cause you must think about it. Cause I think about it a lot. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I think you're right. I mean, there, I don't think there is any, you know, textbook answer for it. I mean, I think it, 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 it varies, you know, for, for everybody and what they're going through. And, you know, I certainly don't want to be that, that, that curmudgeon of a guy who, you know, does the, you know, back in my day, we trudged through, you know, four <laughs> feet of snow type person, uh, which is funny because that, that is exactly what it is. I bet you did, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Back in the 90s when I was growing up, yeah, that's right. Um, perspective. And, and I, I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to that perspective of, you know, being able to take a step back from something in that moment, you know, when whatever that, that situation is, crisis or not, to realize and put it into perspective, is this something I need to, you know, melt down over? Do I need to put more of a priority, you know, action item on this in my head? Or is this something I can kind of just let it coast for a little bit and, watch it resolve itself naturally. Um, you know, and, and I don't know where that line is. I mean, I think it, it, it varies per person. I think it depends on the situation. Um, you know, I, and I don't know why it is. I don't personally get freaked out when and I see a blood sugar of 200. Um, one, I think because I live in that range a lot more than, than I probably should be. Mm-hmm. But I also just feel that, you know, I, I realize that, you know, in the grand scheme, this is, this isn't going to be contributing to my A1C being higher or my, my glycemic variability being, you know, up and down across the board all the time. And this isn't going to give me a complication that, you know, even on the worst of days, I probably only have like a 40%, you know, risk long term of, of having a complication more than I've got these days. Right. You know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I personally, I've never really felt the need to, um, you know, spend all my mental energy on trying to get something so perfect that I drive myself insane. And then there's no guarantee in the end. I've only spent, you know, half my energy, you know, I've only, I basically knocked off 50% of the risk and there's still a 50% chance that something will happen no matter what I did. Do you think that that perspective comes from knowing that you live so many years? Like, like, like what if what if you would have started with Dexcom for example back at 5 years old like because you because you are in a situation where you don't know you don't know what you like what your blood sugar was day to day moment to moment like when you were 5 and 10 and 15 and, and like do you know what I mean like do you think that do you think that your expectation is set already Yeah I sometimes I do and and I I think that's dangerous um you know I I'm glad I grew up when I grew up and I, I've gone through what I've gone through. Um, sometimes I, I wish I would have had 
you know, the technology, whether it's a pump or, or CGM, you know, from the moment I was diagnosed, I wish I would have had, you know, analog insulins with the moment I was diagnosed and not, you know, animal insulin, you know, that I had to use for a little while. I mean, all these things, I think it, it just, it depends on, you know, where I'm at and in the moment and how I'm feeling about these things. Mm-hmm. I think there's goods and bads on each side. Um, and again, going back to the premise of, you know, I slack quite often and I'm, I'm lazy and that probably doesn't help overall. Um, I'm just, I'm, I happen to be fortunate enough where, you know, the, you know, the few complications I've got, you know, neuropathy, retinopathy, about as mild as they could possibly ever be where really I haven't had to do anything differently, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part of my life. Um, those have not really had a detrimental effect. And, and that's just, I think that's complete luck. You know, there's maybe something in my genes that has protected me from, you know, ending up on, on a worse complication scale at this point based on my level of management when I was a teenager and in my 20s. Really is, I don't know, fascinating. It, it just, you know, the, it, it, you take this, the disease is so multivariabled and then you apply it to people and people are so multivariabled and then not all of them get the same insulin, not all of them all get the same tools. Like there's just... I mean, it really is a story that could be rewritten a bazillion different ways, you know, and, and, um, I don't know, like it's, I, I, I'm with you sometimes. Like I, sometimes I see people who are like newly diagnosed that think that like, I can, I can hold this down and make this perfect and it's not going to be a problem and uh, I'll do these things. I'll take these steps and it'll be okay. And, and I think that they don't realize that you know, that might not be the issue that that it's possible they could do everything right and still have a problem. I don't think that means they shouldn't try. Um, but I think that that means that there's, that there's no guarantee is, um, I, I don't know if you take that, if you take that hope of a guarantee from them, if then their worst nature wouldn't take over and they just wouldn't do it anyway. It's such a, Mike, it's such a, I, I want to curse. <laughs> I can't curse. I don't, I'm not allowed to curse in the podcast. It's a story. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's fascinating in so many ways. And I think that, you know, I always come back to, you know, the community and, and the power of the community. And I think that wherever you are, whatever stage of this journey you happen to be at, you can find somebody that, that can offer a little bit of balance in whatever way you need it and whatever degree you need that to be at. You know, if, if you're if you're totally in burnout mode and you need that inspiration of somebody who is, you know, rah, 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 I'm never you know above 140 and my A1C is here and this is how I do things. You need that, you know, more than you've had it and, and vice versa. I think you can if you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed at some of those things, you can look at some of these others and you can say, you know, there is a balance and, and I can step back from this a little more than I have been yeah. and I'll be okay because right. really there is no guarantee at the end of the day. I can't, you know, go off on a tangent and, you know, do everything under the sun. Um, but I can, I can live a little more than maybe I have been, um, you know, and, and that, I think that's, that's good. That's bad. That that's beautiful. That's frustrating. It's interesting that we don't really look for guarantees in the rest of life, but in this thing, it's something you feel like you have to try to like, I don't know, conquer. And, you know, like I've, I've never once gotten in my car and thought somebody better guarantee me. I'm not gonna have an accident right now. You, you know, I just, I, I think I have to go somewhere and I go and that's the end of it. And, and if I should get, you know, if I'm, if I'm the unlucky guy today in, in New Jersey that gets sideswiped by a tractor trailer and I'm done, I don't think in my last second, I'd think, Oh, you know, I didn't get nobody followed through on my promise to, to live forever and not get no car accident. It's just a, I don't know, Mike, I, I, 
I, I want so badly to say that, like, as I was doing that episode with, with, with Daniel, the one that we're talking about here today, um, as he and I were talking, I realized I was being a little more um, boisterous than I usually am. And, and maybe that was just because I was talking to a guy and not a, and not a mom. I don't know, you know, not a woman. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like maybe I go into more of a, um, like a listening mode with, with women than I do with men. Like I, I couldn't tell you, but I could tell that I was more jacked up than I usually am. And that I was matching his enthusiasm for, um, what he was trying to do for his son, because I believe that I believe that he can, like, I think it's there. But the the linchpin that 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 we don't we didn't talk about through that was, and that I do bring it up sometimes. But you know, you ask me to do something for my kids, then I'll do it. And if you ask me to do something for me, then I might lay in my bed and go, oh, but the pills all the way over there. And and so it is a different world. Like it just it's a completely different situation. It's the difference between having a dedicated, loving caregiver who would willingly give up their happiness for yours and you, a person who's living with diabetes and trying to balance all the things that they want out of life at the same time in 24 hours a day with eight hours of sleep, if they're lucky, you, you know, like, so, um, I, I, I guess there are times that I wonder if what I'm doing here, like I almost wonder what will happen 20 years from now. Like, will there be, 24 year old kids whose parents listened to the podcast 20 years ago who were just like, Oh yeah, diabetes is no big deal. You know, we set it up this way and it worked for me. Or are they going to be like, Oh, my mom was so good at it, but I never really did it as well as she did. I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I don't even know if I'll ever find out for my own kid completely, you know? All I know is I hope at that point in time we have, we finally have hover cars. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so at least you can get to the endo to find out your A1C without the traffic. No. <laughs> because, because what else is the endo doing, Mike, really? Very little. <laughs> Let's be honest here. The endocrinologist, uh, or, or as I call it, the lady with the A1C test machine. <laughs> we were there the other day, and, and, um, and the endo's asking me questions, and I'm just like, this is not valuable use of my time. And, and she, I realized, she goes, um, she said something about, she brings up the graphs, because I feel like she felt like she was supposed to. Because now you can actually, it's pretty cool, I don't know if people know, but if you have Dexcom, you can open your Clarity app, and it generates a code, and you give it to the doctor, and the doctor like pulls your graph right up online. It's pretty cool. And um, <clears throat> she goes, uh, well, you know, I see this here and here. She goes, what about these lows? And I'm like, lows? I said, what are you calling low? And she goes, well, it's under 70 here. I said, well, there's our problem. I'm not calling that low. And, and so um, she's like, oh, okay. And I said, you realize that I set the line on the Dexcom graph. If I would have just moved it to 60, you wouldn't have saw red. Would you have not called it a low then? Like I couldn't, you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, is she just saying the stuff she thinks she's supposed to say? Like, is she really trying to help me at all? Or is she just going, hey, there's lows here. Like, like I was, I was a little put off by that for a second. I was like, wow, I set the, I set the, the, the lines there. It's not, it's not like there's a, a, a rule. It's, it's, I just put the line there. Um, and then she went over that, knew a couple other things. She touched Arden's sights, rubbed her hands back and forth to see if there's any insulin collecting underneath them. And it was sort of over. And I was like, why did we come here? 
I, I mean, I guess because they got the A1C machine. Yeah, well, sometimes you need prescriptions too. I mean, that's, I yeah. did get prescriptions while I was there too, Mike. That was nice. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but you know what I mean. Like that was an interesting to me. That's a deeper look into like when people are like, "Well, my doctor said." My doctor said, "I go to a really good children's hospital, like one of the one of the ones." You know what I mean? And still, she just was like, "Oh, I saw red on a thing, so I pointed at it." And I was like, "Oh God! Like this is not really medical advice. This is just..." She's going down a checklist in her head, and uh, and I, I was a little disappointed. But um, but my point was is that people need to understand that. Like when doctors say something to you, your next question should always be why. Like you can't have. I, I got a note the other day from somebody I haven't answered yet. My doctor says my kid can't have an insulin pump till they've had diabetes for a year. What do you think? And I'm like, no, that's not the next question. The next question is why. Ask them why. Because I guarantee you they don't have a reason. So, you know, and if they have a reason, maybe you'll accept it. But but ask for a reason. You know, you're low here. No, I'm not. Why do you think that? Well, it's yeah. red. Well, then what does that mean? You know, so I went through and I explained to her. I said, look, I have to be honest with you. I said, if Arden's blood sugar should go to 65 at 11 o'clock at night and she's got no insulin going and I think that I can get away with cutting her basil off for a half an hour, an hour to get it to drift back up to 90 I'm not waking my daughter up to give her food if she's actually 65. I said, I'll test to be sure in her sleep, but I'm not going to feed her. I mean, Mike, the other day there was a a person, I I hope no one ever actually hears my examples and thinks, oh God, that was me. But there was a person online who was like, I don't know what to do. My child is refusing food and their blood sugar's low. I don't know what, I mean, it was a panicked Facebook message. Somebody said, what's their blood sugar? And she goes, 85. (laughs) I was like... 85, like I set off streamers at 85. Like, what are you talking about? 85, 85 is a win. That's, you know, um, not falling, um, no insulin on board. She just got to that number. And as soon as the thing beeped, she panicked. And I thought if it didn't beep, would she have panicked? Do you know what I mean? Like, like what if it was 88 and it never woke her up and the kids slept all night with the blood sugar at 88? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, you have to whether it's your day-to-day management or your doctor talking to you or whatever, you have to stop and go, why? Well, you know, I'm panicking. Why am I panicking exactly? Um, and, and, and kind of give yourself the opportunity to apply common sense and what you know about diabetes to the situation instead of just panicking because a number got to something or whatnot. Yeah. I want you to, if you can, um, if you, if you can go into a little more detail, I know we're jumping around, but that's what the whole podcast is. Um, but if you can go into a little more detail about listening to Leo's dad talk about, you know, these expectations for blood sugars um, and and the the real like you could hear he was joking a little bit like 140. Oh, my God. Like, I, I know you could hear it not because yeah. I could hear it. But at the same time, you know. You know, you you know he means it on some level as well as 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 do I. By the way, like Arden's blood sugar was one sixty nine before lunch today, and I got to tell you, I was like, oh, that got messed up. You, you, you know what I mean? But that's it's, that's not bad or anything like that. I just gave her a little extra insulin. So um, you know, I don't think it's a panic situation. But when you hear that, do you hear it more as a person who lives in the diabetes community and wants to help people, or do you hear it more as a person who doesn't manage their diabetes that way? Like. I, I want the kind of the rest of the time we're talking. I'm, I'm just interested in what it's like to try to help people to report on something that you're also living with. 
Okay, you guys by now have to know what a continuous glucose monitor is, right? It's a small device that when a person with diabetes wears it, you can see their blood sugar. Not just what it is, but where it is. Is your blood sugar 150, 90, is it 300? Doesn't matter. If you don't know what direction it's moving and how fast it's moving in that direction. And this is exactly the genius behind the Dexcom continuous glucose monitor. The G5, oh, you're gonna love it. Listen, there's a share and follow feature, right? So your user, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's you, you have a Dexcom, right? And on your phone, the Dexcom app. This app shares your blood sugar information with anybody you want it to. This is available for iPhone or Android. Oh, are, you, are you listening? Like really wrap your head around it. Your kids at school, you can see their blood sugar. Not only is their blood sugar 75, it's so steady. You're just like, I love your blood sugar at 75. Look how steady. Or maybe it's 83 or 92. Maybe it's 150 and it's falling. How fast is it falling? Is it falling three points a minute, five points a minute? The Dexcom is going to tell you that. This information is invaluable and it brings a peace of mind. It can't be duplicated. It really can't. You hear me talk about how I use the Dexcom every week on this podcast. You could do the same thing. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. Promise. I promise you will be happy that you did. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I said early on, I mean, I love the interview. And my first thoughts when hearing that part, as well as pretty much all the rest of it was, I wanted to be able to jump through the screen in the podcast screen, and just, you know, give him a hug and, and you know, give Leo a hug. Because, yeah. you know, nine months in, I mean, it's it's just one of those things you don't like hearing about. And they they are awesome. And they sound great. And that was kind of my first instinct. My second was, it's like, wow, they're doing really great and I'm sucking at this moment and I'm not even wearing my, my Dexcom at the moment. So I need to put that back in because I can tell right now my sugar is high. Those were kind of my two immediate thoughts as I'm listening through all of this. Mm -hmm. And then I start, I started, you know, my mind started wandering a little bit. I'm like, okay, you know, there, there is that balance, you know, between the highs and the lows and, you know, perspective and this and that, and you know, what's serious and what's not so serious, you know, in any given moment. And I started wondering, how, how would the community, you know, a week from now, a month from now, a year or two from now, when, when you start seeing all these examples of people and parents saying, my A1C is this, this low number, and this is the only way you can get there. If you go low carb, this is how you do that. If you have to use a particular you know, method of treatment, whether it's injections or, or insulin pumping, and you can't do this without CGM, um, all of these things. And then, you know, whatever that number threshold may be for a particular person, all these things started, you know, coming into my mind of, okay, maybe we can somehow take a step back and, and say, this isn't a prescription for one. And, and, you know, this is how you have to live your life. This is the only way to do it. And if you go over 140, then something is wrong. I think you have to be able to understand it's not a prescription for any of that. Um, but I worry that some take it to that level. Some will use this all as, as, as case examples of why you should only do this, do that, and you should never allow for something else to be, you know, your reality. Right. 
Um, and then again, that's just, that's probably my mind being warped and, and going down the rabbit hole, but that's, that's how I started feeling about it as I was listening to it more and more. And I think coupled just with other things I've seen and heard over time. Well, I, I think, I hope that when people hear me, when I talk about like Arden's high thresholds at one thirty, I don't mean I I don't want to, I don't mean I'm never going to let her blood sugar get over 130. What I mean is that if you want to avoid 200, you have to know at 130. Yeah. Like, like that's the, that's the idea. Um, you know, last night, you know, Jesus, there's last night, her blood sugar was like 160 for a good part of the time she was sitting doing her homework. And it was just at a certain time of night where I was like, if I push this too hard, she's just going to get really low later. So I had to keep just kind of trying to nudge it down a little bit with some more basil. Um, but I, I couldn't have just, I couldn't have crushed her with a, with a bolus for the 160 because then she would have been 55 an hour after she went to bed. And I was not sitting in my living room in a panic that Arden's blood sugar was 160. What, you know, what I've learned is, is that if you, if you don't accept the high blood sugars, if you go after them and you limit them to a couple of times a day, your A1C is going to be around six. Like that's, you know, as long as when you, when you actually, when things are going better, and stability is easier if you stay at a lower number. You know, as long as you're under 120 most of the time, your A1C is going to be around six. Like it's not, you know, but if it's when you see a 250 and then you stare at it for an hour and a half, or you don't do anything about it all afternoon, or you know, it, you're 300 four times a day, that's when you get seven and eight and and nine sometimes. But I, it's not. I try to say it as much as I remember to that I'm not in a panic constantly. I'm not running around going, Oh my God, Arden's blood sugar is not perfect. I genuinely don't think about Arden's blood sugar that much. I just, I, you know, I just, there's certain, certain barriers that when you cross them, we do something and I do something. If that thing would beep in Arden's ear until, until her head bleed, bled, she wouldn't do anything. You know what I mean? Because she's a kid, she's doing her homework and she's thinking, Oh, he'll do it. Just like you, you know, just like you brought up earlier. It's my biggest concern is that my goal is to transition this off to Arden, but that might not work out. You know, what might happen is she might just go, well, I'm not going to do it that way. And that'll be the end of it. Like, I don't know. Like what happens when she's old enough to decide and I'm not in a position to assert myself more, you, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's my biggest concern to be perfectly honest. Um, and then there's part of me that thinks that if she just goes off the rails, at least for this first, you know, however many years, at least we were where we were, you know, and, and maybe that'll give her a chance to get through whatever rebellion maybe she'll see and come out the other side. I, I don't know. It's uh, in the end, the only thing I know for sure is that she has type one diabetes. And it's a lifelong disease and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's like a choose your own adventure book. I mean, if you, if you remember the choose your own adventure books from, from back in the day, I mean, it's like that. I mean, any little decision can, can, you know, start a whole, you know, line of things that you just can't predict. And the transition period is, is interesting for everyone. Yeah. I I, and I think it is, it, I know for sure that advice I would give is that if you think that you're going to control this thing and how it's going to go in your kid's head or all the other, that that's a fool's errand. You, you can't put yourself in a position where you're trying to, to exert that much control over anything. Um, you know, but you know, and I'm not going to repeat them here, but I do know a couple of things. If you start addressing your blood sugar when it gets under or over a certain number and you kind of bump and nudge and you're not like slamming with insulin and things like that, things will go better. You, you know, if you're aggressive with insulin, um, and not afraid of it that, you know, usually you use less insulin than you need. 
that that most people just default to that. It, you know, when you're correcting later, it just means you didn't use enough upfront. Like those simple basic kinds of concepts. If you if you if you think about them while you're doing things, it is going to go better more often than it's not going to go better. And and you know, from there, you'll decide how that fits into your life. You know, and how much of it you can you can bring. I do really need to talk to somebody who's experienced like abject burnout so that they can um, be open about what that means. You, you know, like what, what does it mean to sit in your house knowing you're hurting yourself and not be able to do anything about it? Um, yeah. You know, that, I, that is something that I think people need to hear. And I mean, that, that goes, that goes very much back to the line of, you know, if you're hovering in, you know, whatever high number is for you. I mean, if you're, if you're living that way, you know, for an extended period of time, I mean, that's, that's a very clear sign that you're in burnout or, you know, there's, there's some other issue going on. And, you know, and that's always existed. I mean, I went through it and that was a big case in my, my teens and my twenties. And I, I still go through it, you know, pretty regularly, <laughs> probably once a year, I actually go through it to some extent. How long does it last when it happens normally? I mean, it honestly, it doesn't, usually it's around the end of the year, beginning of the year with the holidays, you know, I just get into that mode where I've got so much else going on in life where my management is not my top priority at that point. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, once I get into the New Year resolution phase, I can do a little bit better. Right. And usually about this time is when I start, you know, doing a little bit better. Yeah. So that's kind of how things have been going for a while on my end. It's funny. It's so similar to just like dieting for someone who struggles with their weight or something like that. You know, like not giving yourself insulin when you need it is the equivalent of like picking up a bag of potato chips when you're not hungry and sitting and eating the whole thing. And while you're eating it going, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it is human nature. It's, uh, it, you know, it sucks that it gets attached to a more finite idea of your life, you know, when it's, when it's a disease, um, because we can all, you know, that's the great thing about like parenting and, and everything there. You can kick a lot of cans down the road in life. You know what I mean? You're like, you know, your kid does something. You think you, oh, I should call them on that, but I'm tired. So I'll let it go. They don't end up in rehab that day. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And 20 years from now, when you look up and your kid's like some giant disaster, you can make up all the excuses in the world that it wasn't you. You can always be kicking that can. Diabetes is the thing that stops you from kicking the can. Like when you're kicking it, you're aware you're kicking it. And, and, and when you're trying to put something off till tomorrow, it just feels so much more dire. And then if you already feel upset, then the dire nature of how you feel just compounds it. It doesn't, it doesn't, I, I hope people understand it doesn't break you out of it. It just makes it worse. You know, like I hate hearing about endos who try to scare kids with, you know, like, you don't want to lose your leg, do you? Like, why wow, you thought that was going to help, you know, like that's, that's not what motivates people. And, and even that is such a, a weird dynamic. I mean, I, I had that when I was, when I was in those, those later teen years, when I was 16 and 17, I had an endo, a, a pediatric endo at the time who did exactly that. And I was starting, I had my first actual complication that just started materializing at that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was only like, you know, 16, 17 years old. And my endo specifically said that if you keep doing what you're doing, you will be dead by the time you were 21. And, mm -hmm. There were, you know, there were other parts of that conversation too, but that actually motivated me for a time. And the same conversation came up in my early twenties, you know, with another endo as well. And that motivated me, you know, at least for the short term. And, uh, it got me back to where I needed to be to start managing more effectively and eventually, you know, get those habits in place I needed. 
Um, and that, that doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. It, it hasn't worked in a while, but it, it did at one point for me. Mike's like, I've given up on the Lions winning a Super Bowl. I have nothing to live for. <laughs> Would you, it's almost like a slap in the face, like, like in, a, in a bad movie. Like when you do that, you are out of ideas, but you still should try. I guess is the idea, right? Like even if I could just snap this kid out of it for a little bit, um, it's worthwhile. And at the same time, I don't know. I've seen my endo talk about it. My nurse practitioner, who's not the endo who I saw the other day, but she'll talk about like, there's some kids who are just, you know, you have to sit them down and tell them like, this is where you're headed. She's like, it feels horrible to tell them that, but there's nothing left. Like every other thing you've tried to explain to them just falls on deaf ears. They don't, they don't care. Um, you know, for whatever the reason ends up being, and it's not her job. She's not a psychiatrist. She's just, she's the person telling them about their blood sugar. And so I don't know, Mike, it, it, what we've learned here in this past hour is there is no solid concrete answer to anything diabetes related. Is that what we figured out? Or life in general, I think is the point. I got you. Life yeah. is just unset concrete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I currently have, have frost heave in my driveway, which is another whole side topic that I can't get. But that's the story of my diabetes life. It's like, come on, a new driveway and this happens. Like, diabetes 101. I finally, so when you got something paved and then some liquid got under it, froze and threw your brand new paving right up in the air? Yeah, yeah um. it's like two inches high and then I, I darn near tripped and killed myself the other day. But but that is, that's exactly the idea. I mean, everything you try to do perfectly, you have a perfect paving job. And this is an analogy that came out of nowhere, honestly. But, and then you just, you trip over a two inch, uh, heave and there it is. I will tell you that, um, home ownership to me, the worst thing about home ownership, I say this all the time though, there's all kinds of bills, but if you've ever paid to have a tree cut down, there is no indignity like giving someone money and having less when it's over. That I that I I I bump on it. No horrible. Here's a thousand dollars. Cut these two trees down. I now don't have a thousand dollars anymore, and I don't have two trees. And and it, but it needed to happen for whatever. Oh my God, Mike! I, owning a home is a is a horror. <laughs> It's, it's another one of those wonderful life uh, adventures. It's certainly. See, you're thinking of it a different way. You, you're a, an upbeat person, whereas I am. Uh, I'm just going. Oh my god! I, I we just drive on the grass. Forget the driveway. You don't need it. Um, <laughs> like I don't know that we've settled anything here. <laughs> did, did, I don't think we. I don't think we were supposed to. Oh, good, good. That's perfect. Then we've done excellent. Um, I just wanted to tell you again. Like it was just. It means. I don't want to say there's few people because there's a lot of people I respect, but when I hear from you, I, I always take it seriously. Like, you know, and I always think like, this is not Mike. Mike didn't just have five extra minutes and he thought to write something on Facebook. You, you, you know what I mean? Like I, I know when you're talking about this, especially uh, diabetes in general, that you, that it's coming from a thoughtful place. And so I always appreciate, uh, you know, hearing it. And, uh, and I appreciate you being the first person on who uh, you broke my rule. I don't know if I, if I ended up, saying that in a point when we were first on that will end up making it into the podcast or not. But I've just always sort of the only rule of the podcast has been that I don't, I don't usually have people on who have a voice somewhere else because they already have an avenue. Um, and I like hearing from people who wouldn't otherwise be able to tell their story, I guess. Uh, but I make a, a huge exception for you because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always just very impressed with how you think about this stuff. 
well, I, I, I tend to ramble, but I, so I appreciate the comment and, and I definitely appreciate the conversation. No, me too. I really do. My genuine appreciation to Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast and for signing on for the entirety of 2018. Thank you so much. You people are fantastic. And to my friend Mike Hoskins, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, sir. I always am just incredibly interested in what you think about living with diabetes and the community surrounding it. Not only that, but I mean, this was just a really great conversation. I love this. This felt very comfortable to me. Um, I hope it did to you too. Mike writes at Diabetes Mind over on Healthline, and I put a link to that page right in the show notes. I'm telling you, Mike is a thorough, thoughtful, and intelligent writer and does a wonderful job reporting on type 1 diabetes. I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Juice Box Podcast. Hey, the music stopped, but you could, you know, use this time to reflect on how much you love the podcast. And what would you say if you were leaving a review for it somewhere? What amazing things would you say? How many stars would you click on if you were, say, reviewing it in iTunes? Probably all the stars. Probably all the good words. I'm just saying, you know, if you're not busy.